Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm Hannah Harley-Young, a photographer by trade and a foodie at heart. Each week I sit down and chat all things food with well-known foodies, industry insiders, chefs, critics and people who just love their food. Today I'm joined by Sarit Packer and Itamar Srilovich, the couple, the myth, the legends behind my absolute favourite restaurant Honey & Co and its sister Honey & Smoke. They opened their first venture Honey & Co in 2012 and it very quickly became the local hotspot in central London. Honey & Spice, their deli, selling all the Middle Eastern home comforts you could think of, opened soon after, followed by their larger restaurant and grill Honey & Smoke. Sarah and Itamar, both from Israel, truly encapsulate the Middle Eastern palate in their food. As a half-Jewish Persian hybrid myself, I am taken on a journey of comfort, happiness, surprise and pure joy when I eat at their restaurants. Their food never disappoints and after all these years I am beyond excited when I get to visit. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Why Thanks did you stop? Continue. <laughs> We've been doing this all day. Yeah. I'll just keep talking. Yeah, the phrase, the phrase. Yeah, we, we, so at work we don't get a lot of it. So. I'll just come by every morning yeah, and just, just sort of yeah. give a little boost, yeah. a little gratitude. Yeah. yeah, we will be even more insufferable than we are already. <laughs> so I always ask my guests, the first question is, what did you guys have for breakfast today? We had the same breakfast we've been having for like... We had some really nice breakfast. Oh, we I'm had, so bored with uh, it now. We have to find a different <laughs> breakfast. Oh, no, it's so nice. We have uh, yogurt with pistachio butter, which is Ooh. so nice. Okay. We it's really bring delicious. like it's little. Do you make that yourself? No, it's a, it's from Israel actually. Wow. It's like a hundred percent, nothing else in it, but it's so delicious. I'm trying so to get them to like tasty. sell it to me here. Yeah, it's I haven't managed. super expensive. Incredible. Yeah, I can imagine. But you only use like a tiny bit. Okay. And then we have that with like blueberries and pistachios, and it's so nourishing and we got this beautiful yogurt from Neil's yard their yogurt is amazing so it's like I, lo- I loved it. I thought it was like a really simple breakfast, but really nice. Yeah, but we've just had pretty much... This, well, soon <laughs> the jar's going to finish, and we're going to have to go... Either go to Israel and buy some more, or... Yeah, or we're going to get... You can, we have a nice almond butter as well. That's true. They make... Yeah. yeah nice See, do you know, really I'm really nice picky breakfast. about my almond butters, though. There this, are certain brands no, I just no, can't... Yeah. They need, like, from Israel, real proper... It's unbelievable. Really? They're all 100%. They are all... They're ground like tahini, so they're ground smooth, uh, okay. smooth, smooth, super silky. It's completely not a like, mm. and they're just, they have like all this natural sweetness. Anyway, I, I, I'm going to try and get them. They're, they're absolutely <laughs> they're delicious. Stunning. So it a nice, stunning. healthy breakfast. Yeah, it's very healthy. So we're trying, we're trying to be very healthy. Yeah. Of course. Um, so we were just laughing before, and the reason why I was laughing um, when you guys were telling each other to speak properly and this, that, and the other <laughs> is what I really admire about the both of you is that you're married and you work together yeah. because... I come from parents who are married and work together. So I've grown up with it my entire life and I see all the ups and downs and the jokes, but also sometimes the bickering and the fighting and how- But did they stay married? They are still married after 37 years. Um, And they still work together? They still work together. (laughs) Um, My dad can be challenging at times, um, but as can my mum, she's a pain, but you know, I love you mum. But how, how do you make it work? Well, nowadays we we try and separate more what we're doing within the company. I mean, we argue loads, but that's kind of part of the joy. Yeah, I mean, it's part I of think, the creative you know, like if you process. Like from a, like a you know Middle East and Levantine household, you know that arguing is very much yeah, it's just yeah. part, of, part the, of life. Yeah, we don't see an argument as like 
anything too major. It's an argument, especially if it's a, about a subject that's important to us, or where the company's going, or what we're going to do next, and stuff like that. But it's also, in a way, part about very much our creative process because when you get heated, you kind of get into quite a lot of like conversations about where you're heading next or what you're doing that highlight things that you then after when you calm down you can go back and say you know how we brought that up maybe this is something we should address maybe we need to look into that so it's the arguing isn't a bad thing yeah. oh I think it's I actually think it's really important yeah it's definitely my Persian side because I am my mother is Persian and my dad is English but he's yeah. from a Jewish background and people are always like you're so like your mother the way that you <laughs> deal with things I'm like well you know what what are you gonna do but but you know I find I think, I think you, you need it's important to, to know how to argue yeah this is my point I think but also I arguing think means you're passionate if, if and, you, and you care if, if yeah. you stop arguing I, that's what I think then it shows that you don't really care and it's something that you're not no, it's not just about key. You also let it out rather than keep it yeah. in your system and let it fester and let it become something that builds into something so much bigger. If we argue about it straight away, then hopefully kind of we get it out of the system. You know, like everyone that represses anger and stuff, this doesn't help them in any kind of, of way. And also I think, it's not a recent theory, but I think that we kind of, because I'm very much kind of big picture, you know, big ideas, in the sky type thing and so it is very much detail 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 and I think we kind of balance each other out because I can get like lost <laughs> in the sky and so it can get bogged down in detail yeah. you need that person to sort of bring you down a little bit of, and a lot of the tension is this that I'm saying to her this is not important and she's saying to me you're too far gone and we kind of force each other yeah so an equilibrium that, yeah. that makes so, sense so far it, it's Usually it works. Yeah. Well, it definitely has. I mean, well, it's, it's well, a lot of in the I sense mean, that we haven't, we haven't <laughs> killed each other yet. <laughs> no, we haven't killed each other, but we have made plenty of mistakes, and of we will make other mistakes for sure, and that's just what it is. But it's all part of the process. Yeah. So you're both from Israel. Um, Sarah, you're from the north. Mm -hmm. um, Itamar, you're from Jerusalem. How did your backgrounds differ growing up between the two of you? <laughs> it was so different. Like, really. I, I grew up in a in such a British enclave in in my kind of village where I grew up because my parents are English so that grew up here and so were they born in the UK they were born in the UK they oh, okay. lived here their entire well their entire kind of young adult life and then they moved to Israel when they were 24 and 5 respectively quite young or something like this I could be wrong with the dates but quite young as soon as I had my sister and she's older than me so they moved there decided to make a life kind of in a hot country but they came with this in Israel there's this thing where you come to a, an absorption kind of center and everyone meets there and you start to learn Hebrew and then so a lot of their friends were English speakers so all I mean most of their friends are English speakers so we just grew up with this group of English speaking families and kids and it kind of quite English food at home and it's so funny it's just like one street in a tiny village so where is the bit so you're right up in the north British. of the country no we're not right up yeah. in the north we're out of Haifa yeah. uh, okay, just out of Haifa yeah. about half an hour out of Haifa and all the friends kind of ended up in the same center and then drifted really not that far away from there so everyone's like within 15 minutes drive of each other in total and where my parents are is literally like a few houses that are all English speaking so I kind of grew up in a completely different thing. I wasn't really, until later on, wasn't really part of the local culture as such. 
until I started to like go out a lot to friends' houses and join a youth movement in Israel and stuff like that. But until then, yeah. And so you said that you grew up in quite a British household. So what sort of food were you around? Like proper British, like chicken pies and steamed vegetables. And um, this is at home. Obviously, we would go out to eat quite a lot in other places. But at home, it was beans on toast, mushrooms on toast, like, you know, ham, egg and peas, except not the ham because you can't get in (laughs) Israel. But that kind of thing, you know, egg and peas and shit, you know and chips stuff like that it was very very british and like we would eat marmite we still eat marmite oh my god and like, like with the, the holy grail yeah but you know like in israel this is like every friend that we would bring home to show it would be like what are you what is this uh, is like a running joke so you eat so this funny. yeah and and you know like having tea and scones and yeah like proper oh, really british, proper british yeah. like not Semi at home was very much. Pro- and, and now my mum's changed quite a bit. Now she cooks a lot of kind of very local. Like she's assimilated as well quite a lot. She cooks a lot of kind of very. But she local was stuff. she was completely like Delia Smith, Madhu. Yeah, Jaffrey. I mean the, wow. this is kind of the the books we had at home when I yeah when I started and, cooking. And so was your mum the main cook? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, did definitely. you ever sort of were you getting into the kitchen? Yeah, with from child? very you very young age. Interested. Yeah, from a very young age I started cooking with her. Um, also, I became a vegetarian at ten. So if I wanted to eat anything like really exciting I had to make it and learn how to make it for myself because my family none of them are vegetarian so why did you decide to become vegetarian I don't know it was kind of a crazy th- you know 10 year old you scared I think I heard someone that was doing it and I thought oh my god I love meat I probably couldn't stop eating it and it started as a little challenge thing that then I just didn't stop I was a vegetarian for 10 years so wow. to, for me to eat like more exciting things I just learned to cook more and more and then I bought a couple of vegetarian cookbooks and that's when I started experimenting more with local fruit and vegetable and stuff like that and, and spices it's probably part of like these books that became a part of my life but and you Itamar? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm from Jerusalem grew up in Jerusalem um, yeah it was now I think you know when, when, when you look back it was such a strange time because it, it was uh, it was you know, there, there was kind of the first Palestinian uprising and that all happened in Jerusalem, but then there was also the Oslo Accord and the peace process, so a lot of optimism, but also a lot of anger. And where I grew up was really kind of maybe the last neighborhood before East Jerusalem. So we were, you know, in constant contact with, you know, the Arab kids and the Palestinian kids. It was very open. So now I see it, when I look at it, you know, after, you know, when... 30 years onwards I say you know what a strange place and time to to grow up in but then you know when you're a kid everything just seems normal to you doesn't it so in terms of the food there was it was a very open city you know you would get exposed to so much and I think generally in Israel you're exposed to so much because you know I think probably now kids these days it's not it's not such a big deal but when, when we grew up it was a very big deal like where's your family from yeah, are you Ashkenazi are you from Morocco are you this it was a big it was, it was huge, huge like the, the biggest memories are going to like a new house that is like Persian or or Moroccan and like the food is com- used to be completely yeah. different in each one of these households that you would go to so you would try like a whole world That'd within. Be it, it yeah. was amazing. I used to just go to friends' houses because if their mums had prepared like food for the week, <laughs> you would eat like these crazy meatballs or stuffed vegetables or like all these things that my mum would never cook. Anyway. Yeah, but also you know I, I'm thinking how 
And it's, this actually, this experience is, you know, when you, you speak to people who grew up in Israel, this is very, you know, the food that you had at home was distinctly yours, you know, was distinctly of that community and you were, you know, exposed to that. So it's a really big deal, I think, for a lot of Israeli kids or, or people who grew up at that time. Uh, also, you were, it was very, the, the Arab cuisine was very open, very accessible, it was very, you know, part of, of how we grew up, especially, you know, in, in East Jerusalem and friends and, you know, Arab friends that we had, it was very uh, open. Uh, also access, you know, or, or exposure to ingredients that I think, you know, probably kind of the last generation, but, we, you know, I would go with my mom to the market every Friday and it was bedlam, but it was, just, this is how you do your shopping. And what sort of dishes were you eating during your childhood? Because obviously you didn't have the, the sort of British well, influence. Well, my, my, my family, my mum is uh, Yemeni. Oh, wow. So we would have a lot of Yemeni food from my grandmother, who is also, she would cook Yemeni food, but she was Egyptian because my grandfather was Yemeni. So we had a lot of those things, like the Egyptian, the Yemeni food. Uh, not so much the Ashkenazi side. Cause yeah. that, that, that wasn't tasty. It's not as nice. Uh, so for the listeners who wouldn't know, what, what would be an example of like Ashkenazi food? Well, it's it's kind of the food of Eastern Europe. I mean, yeah, I mean the, the Ashkenazi food is say? quite bland. It's yeah. like car- sweet, quite a, like cooked sweet carrots or fish cakes or yeah. uh, chopped liver or yeah, there's a lot of boiled. So are you guys food. into that sort of like ju- that real sort of Jewish food, like filter fish balls and this? You li- I like, you like it. But I don't like as it. I don't as a like rule, it was just like you'd feel sorry for. Yeah, I'll tell you what is nice people. is like chulent or like um, you know like it, it's like an oh. overnight yeah. uh, beans and meat yeah. and stuff like that, which because of the Friday because you're not allowed to cook in the Jewish religion. On Saturdays, and most families would throw something like that in an oven on a Friday, eat it on a Saturday. Not my family, by the way, but that's quite a, you know, that's quite a flavor that you can, that grows on you, but a lot of the other food is a bit, but. I think it's like anything, if you if you get good ingredients and you cook it well, it's it nice. It can be nice, yeah. If it's like sloppy yeah. with bad ingredients, yeah. then it's sloppy with bad ingredients. But it's when I'm, met but your your Yemeni family at the first time. I didn't believe him that he was Yemeni. He would tell me, but like, I, I mean, I looked at him and I was like, there's no way you're Yemeni. There's nothing about you that looks Yemeni. And then we went, sadly, actually, because your grandfather passed away and I met the family and I was like, because we had just started dating then. I was like, oh my God, they're all Yemeni. Just somehow Itamar and his <laughs> brother have come out. Yeah, he's not lying. <laughs> and like, we had like the bone soup and the chilbe. Chilbe is like a fenugreek paste thing that you eat and you dip loads of bread in this is so delicious wow. but then you stink for four days it comes out of your like yeah. uh, every no pore. it's really <laughs> bad like you know your bed sheets oh and God. everything is so stinky but no, it's but like, like these pastries so that, delicious you know yeah. so worth it yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> that comes kubane is like a bread that is goes in again this friday thing it goes in at night i think i'd have that before. have you had it and yeah. then it, it takes a whole night to bake and you eat it in the morning yeah. so the bread is like almost amber colored yeah. it's amazing yeah it's really nice yeah because it's interesting because obviously i had my father's side which is all jewish and although my father's not religious he is his religion is food so <laughs> uh. um you know i was brought up if i ever went to my auntie's house you know we would do passover dinners at hers and you know filter fish balls i don't eat chopped liver i just can't mm-hmm. get my head around it um but there's all you know egg and onion bagels egg and onion salmon. Nice. like it's that that yeah. sort of stuff uh, new greens the pickled new greens yeah. which yeah. i'm obsessed with um yeah so that was kind of my 
experience of Jewish food growing up, which but I that's very the Ashkenazi, very Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi. Yeah, that's yeah. a very Ashkenazi yeah. Jewish thing. But the the whole like Moroccan, Yemeni, Persian, Ashkenazi, Sephardi Jew food is so delicious. Yeah. Like, and it's so it's so complex and it's so varied and there's so yeah all the spice and things. It's more enticing. Yeah. I don't think it's you know. It, there's no better or worse, it's just a, a bit more going there. You mentioned when you were younger, you knew you had this love of food. So, mm. was it were you, from quite a young age, did you know that you wanted to get into the culinary world? Completely. That, like You were set, that was it. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I was a greedy little child. I was quite obsessed with food. <laughs> <You> and <wasn't. laughs> No, but like, when I was in the kitchen, that's when I felt the most comfortable. Like, I really, this is kind of the biggest thing I remember is just cooking. And for it to be, like, it was always a calm, fun thing to do. Like, I never, I, I still don't ever get stressed in a kitchen. I don't get flustered by it. Like, not everything is works out, but I, it's just a really calm, nice place for me to be in. And, yeah, like I said, I, I got obsessed with, like, friends, family's food, and then I would try and recreate it just because it was so different. And, yeah, so, I, yeah, I pretty much knew from quite young that this is what I was going to do. And how about you? When did you realize? Well, yesterday. I was also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he still yeah. I was always kind of. I, I was always cooking. I was always in kitchen in a, in the kitchen at home, and I was always cooking. Uh, and I loved that, and I knew that, and I, I was toying. Maybe I should do it for a living, and maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should do other things. And when I left the army, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna go into kitchen just because I know to cook, and and then I'll decide what I want to do." And I stayed in kitchens and, you know, 10 years later, I was like, okay. So did you both go to culinary school in Israel? No. No, I didn't at all. So you came to no. the came I came here to, to go. I came here to, yeah. So when I had decided after the army that that's it, I'm not going to, because my parents still wanted me to go to university and do all of that before I pursued a world of food because they didn't think it was a career. And probably like, uh, you know. 20 odd years ago yeah. you know it was questionable whether yeah. it was actually yeah. <laughs> um, and I was very adamant and I said no I'm just going to work and earn enough money to to go to college and I was trying to go to France but like couldn't try to learn French and was atrocious at it and a lot of people that I spoke to had warned me about French kitchens and women and how hard that would be and I have a British passport and I just thought actually I'm just going to start in the UK and see if I can hack it and if I can, you know, if I can really slot myself into it, then that's what I'll do. And if I'm going to give it kind of a year and if not, I'll consider going to university and all of that stuff. Um, so I did. That's what I did. I like worked, earned money, came here on my own when I was 20 uh, and went to culinary school here and loved it. Absolutely. Like beyond anything that I expected it to be. It was so much fun. It was. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a working restaurant called The Apprentice. It was part of the Conran Group, okay. and we would come in every morning, set up a restaurant, do a lunch service, then sit and do theory uh, until the afternoon. Or if we were the other team, we would come in with the theory and then do dinner service. So it was a working restaurant as well as theory in between. We, it was with a great kind of team of like, you know, everyone kind of from different countries and everyone wanting to become chefs. And was and there it quite was a lot of women at that time doing it? There or? was another two women in okay. the college with me. We weren't a huge group. I think maybe we were 20. Okay. Um, there were, I think, one or two of the tutors were women. Most were men as well. So not really strong on women. And when I started working in kitchens, I was one of two. 
um, sometimes the only one. So it definitely wasn't big on women. And I do think that France may have killed my passion before it ever happened because at the time there really weren't any women in French kitchens. So uh, the UK was opening up a bit, but even then most of them, probably Australian I would say, even even 20 years ago any kind of women chefs here seemed to be Australian. Um, so yeah, so definitely a very male-dominated environment when I started off. You both actually just mentioned that you obviously were in the army, that's, that's conscription yeah. in, in Israel. What was the food like in the army? Ugh. I mean, the cooking is dreadful, dreadful. You but guys should go back and train up some chefs in the no, army. I mean, I'll, I'll you know tell what? You some of the best chefs in Israel have come yeah. from no, the, the chefs army are great. system. Really? The chefs yeah. are great. The, the, it, you just need to feed a lot of people very quickly for yeah. not a lot of money. Yeah. So, but there were, there were some things there like... There were some in, people yeah. who genius. Like sometimes you would get something that you would be like, someone, know, like yeah. someone, someone that knows how to cook has done this. But you would get like good stuff, like not good stuff, but you would get like fresh vegetables because it would be like cucumbers, tomatoes, boiled eggs. This olives is breakfast. Olives. Halva. Oh, it's really yeah, nice. Like most people so would think this is quite yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. fresh bread. Like, uh, yeah, super fresh cheese. Fresh bread, curd cheese, or, or you know, okay. cream cheese quite big. Actually, the, and this the, would be your breakfast and dinner, and yeah. then lunch would be something cooked. And occasionally, if you managed to be with a chef that was decent, then the lunch was okay. Sometimes it was horrendous. But also, I was very lucky because kind of my army service was in a weird little base where we just got supplies and we cooked. And this is where I really, really started cooking a lot because we could. Mm. But then also you get like, you know, for regular army, you get like, you know, if you're a private soldier, you do like kitchen duty. yeah. And then that, w that was... That is horrid. There, you would just like be put in a room with Like a massive kitchen. And though. like all the dirty dishes of... I don't know what, 500 people that just ate. No, sometimes like 3,000 like, people that just yeah. ate. Yeah, and you're just like in the room, wash it. Like, until like you some die. pots that you can literally jump into the pot to scrub the bottom of the pot. Like, ridiculous. You'd, you'd be like, what is happening? Or, you know, here's a room full of onions. Get it all peeled. Mm. But it's I love that. I love all of it. But also probably quite good training it's for your really later yeah. life. But this is what I'm know? saying about some of the chefs. Like, I used to work with a guy who also, for a while, was my business partner in Israel. He was an army chef. Oh, was he? Yeah, Barry I didn't was know an army this. chef, yeah. yeah. And he was amazing. He was amazing. And he was amazing. so fast and so um, um, multitasky because he had to like work in these like mm. army kitchens where there's lots of stuff cooking. You have to feed loads of people. Like he was excellent. Yeah. And actually, I love. And he never I cooked until he went to the army. I love the cooks in the army. Yeah. Because they're like they're renegades. They're like the lowest of the they low. also work like, like they, yeah. they, they do a different thing they work a week on a week <laughs> off chefs in the army it's the, okay, it's the yeah. uh, I don't know why probably because it's quite gross yeah. <laughs> as a job <laughs> they work a week they're off a week off, uh, where most people would only have like a weekend off or every other weekend mm. off this is what I had yeah so yeah so they're quite funny people they're the coolest like not they're like the roughest but also <laughs> the coolest yeah <laughs> I've read in a few of your books that you tend to not have much food at home. Mm. Obviously, with the nature of your work, you know, you're out so much. Obviously, you've made a career out of this. This is your livelihood and everything. So have, do you still have the passion at times to go home and be like, I want to make this recipe or I want to try something out? As a photographer, when I went to go study photography, 
I and I did it as a degree. I actually graduated and lost my entire passion for photography. Mm. It took me a year and a half to, get to back pick, a, pick a camera yeah. up again because I just thought I've I've studied something that really was a hobby and something that I could have made a life out of. It, but this is what I was thinking at the time. And sort of, I had to take a step back and yeah. find myself a little bit. I mean, and I yeah. just wondered if. Well, we say know, this to a lot of people. Personal passion still. A lot of people that come for us. I know this is not answering a question, but I will in a second. A lot of people that come to interviews that kind of want a, a midlife change of career. We say to them, actually, don't turn your hobby into a career because it's a big commitment. It's huge. And like, unless you have that like bug that makes a kitchen be your comfort place, you should just keep cooking as a hobby, and like. You know. I think that's why I never became a chef. I think because it's, I love it, but I. Yeah. It's but it's a different thing doing completely. it day to day. And I think for for me at least, with the cooking at home, look at the moment we try and cook almost every meal at home. We try not to eat out anymore because, really, it's you know, like at yeah. some that we're older. <laughs> you know, you know we can't no, really. Do you like, know what? I love that. No, and we and cook and we cook delicious so food happy. as well. So like, we know what's in it. We know how fresh it is. All of this stuff, and we enjoy it a lot. It's there's times when we're at work like all the time doing every shift because something has happened because we want to push a project because someone is sick it doesn't matter then maybe it's a bit harder but when we are in our regular day-to-day -day running around our good time is like getting home one of us co we never cook together but one of us making the dinner that's why you guys are still yeah, together like that, that, that's yes. the secret never together <laughs> uh, but we have a nice open kitchen so the other one's like yeah. in the living room annoying the one that's cooking <laughs> and then sitting together and having like fresh that we know what is in food is like it's that's really not nice. a sentence but you know what i mean yeah. no, we know the ingredients no, we, we try and get them like from farmers markets if we can we try and buy organic now and this is a change though this is like in the last few years for us i mean we would always cook but like maybe not look at the provenance so much or the quality and but you know we also gained a lot of weight in this business no but i think so there's a serious issue with the quality of food with the with the produce that arrives and actually the amount of processed food. I just read. Did you read this article? Did you read it? No, I didn't read. Just the amount of processed food that's a bit. It just makes you want to cry. Yeah. And then you sit like when you think in a supermarket, you have like one aisle that's like vegetable meat, and then the rest is just processed. No, God knows right. what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like garbage. one eighth of the supermarket is just the fresh food. Yeah, and yeah. that's it. And the rest yeah. of it is. So we try as much as possible to simply not go there. We don't. We try to no, absolutely I'm not buy anything you. processed. I've massively in. stopped eating out. Obviously, present company excluded. This is one of the only places. No, yeah. I think there's some places. No, because you go I know the it. ethos behind it, and I know that I'm getting good quality. Yeah. And, you know, not that we cook the same, because I am not a chef and I'm not qualified. But you know, I've got the same mentality as you guys. You know, I was brought up with a mother who, and I'm be I'm not being biased, is an incredible cook. So I was learnt from a young age about organic, about certain produce, about you know, spicing things up. But um, I also think with eating out is that now that I've become a cook, and I don't know if maybe you guys feel this way as well, um, nothing tastes as good as homemade food, you know? For me, like, and this is what I, I Unless you go to a unique restaurant yeah. that course, has this touch, which there's some places. of them. This is the River Cafe. You, you can't go wrong. There's a few places you can go and get amazing food, but they're very, very few yeah. and far between. We hope that ours is a bit like that. No, I, I feel that, <laughs> yeah, no, look, you know, you know I take so much pride in the fact that I know that, you know, and I eat here every day in one of the places I eat every single day, something I would eat. And I think, you know, it's really wholesome food. I know it's so no, fresh. No, so we know what we buy in and yeah. we know that we process 
everything ourselves. Like we don't, nothing comes in pre-cut, pre-chopped, pre-peeled. Like we just do Prepared yeah. sauces, everything. nothing, yeah. nothing. Um, so we know that if we eat here, we're eating the same as we would eat at home. Absolutely. And that's kind of the, the, the biggest I'm so difference. I'm super proud of this. When you do find the time to go out, where, <laughs> where are some of your favorite restaurants? Um, you mentioned the River Cafe. The River Cafe. Mm, we love yeah. Japanese food, so and Rock is just down the street yeah. from <laughs> Honey and Co, which yeah. is bad, but we do so end up bad. there quite a bit. Uh, just near us, there's Canton Arms, which is just a really nice pub. Nice, you know. St John's. We go St John's. Yeah. We go like once a month. Um, oh, I do. St John's is delicious, but that's I the same kind of thing. St John had a standalone bakery in Neil's yard oh. only yeah. until like a, a yeah. week ago. I went yeah. there, it was lovely. Yeah, was it good? Yeah, really good. Yeah. That's their another company that you know that. Yeah, I really, I love the restaurant. But you know the donuts is like. Yeah. You remember when I ate that? We were in the beginning of a very long day, and I took a bite, and the whole oh filling no. just went on my top. What, all the jam and everything. Oh. It was a custard one, but I definitely got custard filled. Um, but St. John, I feel, is wholesome. Yes, St. John does that same thing where you feel that it's an ingredient that has totally. been cooked, yeah. and you're, you're going to eat. Like, it's those places that we tend to go to. Obviously, we mentioned, um, Sarah, that you'd come to London before, you'd um, gone through culinary school, then you went, came back to Israel. First, I worked here for a while, and she then I went back. You came, you went back to Israel, and then you eventually came back, and mm-hmm. you both settled in London. At that time, what did you think of the food that was on offer in mm. London? I s- because I think it's only been in recent times that we've been a lot more open-minded as a society with I what we'll eat. I don't fully agree with that. I think even when I came here first time, it was eye-opening because I left Israel to come here to learn because Israel is about the local food. So the Arab restaurants are amazing. The food is. Delicious, absolutely delicious. But you go and there's always a fatouche and there's always a falafel and there's always a kibbeh and there's always there's always the a same. shishlik. It's all delicious. I can't say it's not. And it's still the same. You know, we travel so much now, and like in Turkey, it's the same. You go, an area is famous for a, a lamb kebab. It's this lamb kebab. It's this lamb kebab. It, it maybe slight variations, but every restaurant will have lamb kebab. Yeah. And, uh, and they sort of have to tick off the things yeah. in each one. Yeah. And, then the, and then the difference is how good your cooks are yeah. and yes. how good your produce is yes. and your, your location. Exactly. But, but I came the here. menu is the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I came here and there was like Chinese, maybe crappy Chinese 20 years ago, but now there's some amazing Chinese places, but there was Chinese, there was I Indian. Know, I love there like was the dim sum places, like no, the Chinatown dim sum. Completely. I, I love them still, but like, I, some are better than others in quality for yeah. sure but so they like coming here and like at the time it was a new world it was like where I would go to like eat the trolleys of dim sum or I would go to Indian places and eat Indian you know, food the, when the trolley sticks to the floor <laughs> then it's so <laughs> gunky that'd be gross <laughs> but, but the, you know but, but this was like so eye opening for me the fact that you could be in one city that contained so many cuisines mm. that you could this didn't exist where I came from where I was you come say, from in Israel it's there was not a, as diverse no it, now, it is now, now it is not now, 20 yeah. years ago maybe 20 years ago an Italian place would be like that was obviously where you guys met in an uh, Italian yeah. we restaurant we did yeah, yeah. But so so like you'd, a couple of Italians had come in maybe a couple of Chinese but it was very like the very westernized kind of Chinese okay. food which was horrible and also it was a special occasion thing and where I grew up literally there was one Chinese restaurant there was one Indian restaurant right, okay. and there was two Italian restaurants and like each holiday each birthday of any one of the family we would go to one of these to get a taste of something different the rest of the time you would eat the local food which is nice delicious salads kebabs you know shawarma falafels 
but that's it and here it's like wow mm. everything mm. and that's only expanded so now the the quality here no but uh, what i think happened now is that i think always you would have fantastic restaurants in london because it's an affluent town but i think now what hap- what's the major difference from when we came to now is that the mid-range has become so much more better and so much more diverse i think the dining out culture is sort of is not you know because when we came like you would go out to michelin That's you know true, you would yeah. go to maze yeah if you remember yeah. you would go to the Ori you yeah. would go to these kind of go to of a white tablecloth yes. exactly so, and that yes. was fine dining and then the middle was chain restaurants yeah. yes and the, and the or, or, or below or, yeah. or you know a high street curry house and I think maybe also a sign of the economic climate as well you know a lot's happened over the past few yeah. years people yeah, don't yeah. have as much disposable income as they used no, to no it's a lot yeah. look this was why yeah. Honey and Co managed to, yeah. to work yeah. in its time because when we did this like mid-rangey thing anyone that was in the same yeah. kind of price range was like a strata maybe or yeah. you know pizza express no, i think strata was more expensive maybe strata even. was more expensive then and you know but, but le- uh yeah it's it's but now i think you can eat out very well for you know 30 40 quid Absolutely. and you can have a nice meal yeah and that's very different from what and i think i do think it's kind of a golden age for like this past 10 15 years has kind of been a golden age because of a lot of different reasons but it'll be interesting to see if that's kind of continues or well if we have the staff to do it is the biggest question <laughs> yeah but I, I i believe that you know i believe in that and i, I actually sorry i'm just because i just read the article about them not approving any visas for non um, do you know what that really for non what for non-skilled people oh i was just watching this on the news this morning yeah, it's horrible because for our industry like to not i mean they what are they doing they're it. killing our industry yeah. like killing it yeah. they have to do something because no but also I, I actually i take offense to that to the fact that you know, everyone that works with us and us are unskilled. Whilst you settled in... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we're Sorry. Going, <laughs> just like we're completely going around. Around. No, it's yeah. fine. So, once you'd sort of settled in London, you were both working at various restaurants. You, uh, you Sarah, were at the OXO at one point. Both of us Both were. of us. You, both yeah. of you. Both of us. I mean, both I could us, have yeah. been. Um, both of you were at OXO. And then you went to Ottolenghi. Yeah, Itamar went first, um, actually. And you also helped open up Nopi, which was his first standalone first sort yeah. of restaurant. Mm-hmm. Were you guys quite inspired by what he was doing at the time? Because I sort of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of as a consumer, I sort of saw him as like the first guy to really bring that kind, those kind of tastes. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, mean, I think completely, completely. 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 I mean, there was maybe Gale and uh, Baker oh, and yeah. Spice oh. before a bit, yeah. but it wasn't to that degree that they managed to like bring the sensibility of, uh, of freshness and of produce and stuff like that. For sure, that was inspiring. It was inspiring to see normal people running a business because until then, like Idemar said, everything in London was kind of chainy. So the... Yeah, there was like the Ivy, you know, the, yeah. the Caprice Holdings, or you would look at like these big things and say, well, that's a lot of money, that's a lot of thing behind it, they can do it. And like, we never really, until we worked there, you know, even the OXO where we were working, this was owned by like uh, Harvey Nichols. It's like, Which was then owned by some by Chinese like some yes. corporation or, or something. Corporation or whatever. So we were like, you can never own a business in London. But then working there, we were suddenly like, oh, maybe you can, maybe it can be done in a very different way but maybe it's possible so from that point of view it was very inspiring for sure yeah and also you know the the sensibilities and what was coming to the table you'd say 
wow, people are really responding to that. It's it's happening, and and yeah, the they food, enjoy the food, the flavors, yeah. The food that was you know so natural and beautiful and so delicious and and wholesome. I'm coming back to the word. And all those like amazing pastries in the windows. It, it just well, so I grew oh up uh, sort of close to the Notting Hill branch. The best one. Yeah. And I remember when my, I think my mum must have driven past. The best one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't used to manage so, the and kitchen there. I used to there, work around the corner. I had, I had my, one of my first Saturday jobs at Matches. Oh yeah, the yeah, store, yeah. So yeah. I'd always sort of go in and spend my whole paycheck on like on one sandwich or whatever. So worth it. So worth it. But, you know, at that time, because I'd come from the family environment that I came from, going into Ottolenghi, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, finally, there's, you know, these sorts of flavors are are, are coming out. And it was a it was a it was so exciting to go to Ottolenghi at the time. And my mom would obviously go along and, you know, she'd be chatting to whatever. And then another funny story is um, my parents own a photography gallery in Kensington. And, they, and it was uh, it's opened unfortunately Otterlengi now shut opposite the Otterlengi in Holland Street Holland yeah. Street yeah 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 so um, I know the guy ga- the gallery yeah so my mum obviously they start going over they start spending all their money I mean the, the Holland Street shop was just it was a jewel. the cutest it was, it was so such a cute beautiful. place we're, I mean we're devastated at shop yeah. because yeah. obviously that was where we would get our lunches and everything from so we became quite close with Carl which yeah. is Yotam's yeah. uh, husband and Carl then introduces Yotam to my parents and obviously the Jewish connection, this, that, everyone starts becoming friends. And so one night my mum was like, you know, I'm going to invite Yotam over for dinner. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're inviting Yotam onto Lengi over for dinner. Like, what are you going to serve? And she's like, I don't know, because everything that I cook is Ottolenghi. And I was like, well, you can't serve him his own food. So she's like, no, I'm going to do a full Persian meal because, you know, I've got to show him my take on the Persian meal. So she's literally cooking for like three days so she's like i just i can't do this and they come over and she's all nervous and whatever anyway we serve him the whole persian meal and my mum does the shirazi salad with, mm-hmm. which is the chopped onion tomato cucumber and she how she plates it she does it really beautifully with like lines so mm-hmm. she'll do the line of tomatoes the, mm-hmm. the nice. onions the cucumber and you know a bit of sumac and whatever on top and they come for dinner, it was really lovely. And about two days later, Yotam emailed her and was like, listen, I'm doing some research for my next book. Do you mind if I just take a couple of your recipes? Oh, just so a nice. bit of like influence, whatever. My mum was like, oh my God, yes, that's I, I, I've won. So um, no, so we were always quite close with the whole Ottolenghi mm-hmm. vibe. Um, who else inspired you as well? As you were starting to now think about opening up Honey & Co. I think, was there anyone else? I think we did a trip to Australia that was very inspiring because there was a lot of people doing their own thing in small places, uh, really cool places that weren't very big, that maybe it wasn't massive names behind them or stuff, but do you remember that? that we were in Melbourne yeah. and we just we just went from one restaurant to another and there was like these small restaurants everything was kind of indie and kooky and nice yeah like not the, like the polished yeah. decor nothing was too like thing the food varied quite a bit between them and we just thought this is amazing like and again you have to think back to like you know 10 12 years ago london is just like you go and everything's the same and you go to another one and it's pretty much the same menu it's like a chain that has like a million of them and that was so amazing to yeah. just again see like small places, each one decor different, the menu is completely different, 
some meals are here, so, you know, some are misses. That's okay. Yeah. That the was really, really, it's really happening yes, and it's yeah. changing. yes. That's so that was really in for me, the, really, in really the, inspiring. Yeah, and in terms of the the food, you know, Sam and Sam Clark, you know, I think they're from Morrow. The, just their sensibilities are amazing. They're so. I haven't been tomorrow in years. We just went yeah. after a long time, oh but we haven't been, really? and it's, it's really so nice. Good. Yeah, so good. Because they also opened a Morito as yeah. well, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So nice. And this, I, I've worked with them for a little while, but it's just so inspiring how they are and how they work and just how and much store they yeah. put on there. And a couple of places in Israel that we eat at kind of regularly when we go back are like. You know, wait, and I used to work for many years on and off in yeah. Orna and Ella in Israel. It's quite a big inspiration for Honey and Cole because a lot of the sensibilities of quite the bare room and just being about the food and the very hominess of it. I mean, this was a very big part of our inspiration for Honey and Cole. When you did open Honey and Co, what were some of the big challenges that you faced? Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, everything. Well, we never served a table neither of us no we didn't know how to work a till system ever ever we never paid a salary no. we, we didn't even know how to close a so day you were, you were learning yeah. on the job yeah. Yeah. everything we had no, no idea how you cash up the end of a day wow we'd never done it because we were chefs okay. we were you yeah. know, yeah. working people you don't yeah. ever see the end of mm. day um, we didn't realize at the time that you have to declare that you're going to serve food in six weeks or something like oh, no. or something yeah. like this <laughs> So you can't open until you do declare. There's all these like small things yeah. that just you don't know. And then you figure it out, you know. You learn this, you learn that. You call the health inspectors, you do this. You, but it just, like, we didn't know any of this. And I guess also, you know, what I love about Honey & Co in particular, and I was saying this to you before the interview, is that you really went for that vibe of it being like a home away from mm. home. And that was that really important to you? Yeah. To kind of feel like when you walk in, you're kind of walking into possibly like your friend's aunt's house. Well, we, we didn't knew, we didn't know any better. Yeah. And we so didn't. that's really authentic. Yeah, we did. It's the only way we've never, you know, like Sarit said, we were cooking in restaurants. We never had any access to any other part of it. So the only way we knew how to host people was as if they're coming to dinner that was yeah. all it was you know yeah everything was handwritten you know now it's changed but you know checks were handwritten run down to the kitchen you know like we never it took many years until we installed yeah. like a proper system so when system. you first opened how many staff did you employ just one no way when we yeah. just opened yeah yeah it was wow. me and Itama and Rachel that was yeah. how we started it was now the Rachel's our um, you know a front of house manager now uh, she manages that's all the incredible. shops and goes between them, but that's all it was. Like we, it was me on the pastry to start off with, Itamar in the kitchen, Rachel upstairs. That was breakfast. Then Itamar would go upstairs to help Rachel at lunch, and I would go into the kitchen. Uh, quite early on, we took a KP as well, but not at the start. Yeah. At the start, mm. I was doing all the dishes and everything as well. But once it got a bit busier, we said, "Okay, this is crazy." We took a KP. Then we slowly took another waitress, Sophie, remember Sophie? Um, <laughs> Sophie is no longer with us. But, um, and that's, we just added, we and said, Chelsea, okay. the bucket sister. Yeah. We said as. Chelsea is still a good friend. If, if, if the work comes, we hire another person. Yeah. If the work comes, we hire another person. And that's all we but did. You're not going to work out of your means, so to speak. No, because yeah. we had no money yeah. to do it. So it was just like, you cover this. As long as we can see that we can cover a salary, we take another person. And each person is completely worth their salary. But like. You can't take them on until you know the work is there. Mm. 
So for the beginning, we were washing floors at the end of the night, picking up all the chairs. And at the time when you launched, was the menu very similar to how it is now? Where you, I mean, I know I'm assuming people come in and they do the sort of the big breakfast, yeah. or you know, they'll go for their choice of starters and then choose their main. Was that the format from the get-go? Pretty kind much. Of, pretty yeah. much. We had a couple of other things. Yeah. We thought we would do more takeaway, so. We started with a couple of like, there's a very Egyptian staple kind of street food called kusheri, which was like rice, lentils, pasta thing that we thought people would come in and take for their lunch, but it was probably too carb heavy. We didn't get that right in no, the local the kind of... No, didn't happen. And we made sandwiches and stuff like that to, to take away. And actually that never p- picked up. People wanted to people sit wanted down. To sit yeah. um, but breakfast was pretty much the same breakfast we do now, maybe a dish or two less. Uh, lunch was shorter, like maybe three or four mains, but just what we cooked on the day. Uh, and so it would change every week, actually, the menu. Yeah. Just what almost we cooked. Every day, yeah. Almost every day at the start. If we cooked a batch of meatballs, that would sell. We'd cook a bunch of simia, you know, stuff like and that. And are there any dishes that are still on the menu today? Yeah. yeah. A lot of them are. What would you yeah. say would be like your most popular dish? I mean, dish? the pomegranate Falafel chicken we comes, have yeah, and the pomegranate pomegranate chicken comes chicken. back every summer. Yeah. Sinia, uh, which is like a lamb with a tahini crust that comes back quite regularly to the menu. All the salads, the fresh salads, the peach, peach and uh, goat's cheese. Yeah, the quince salad. The quince salad, the fig mm, salad. salad yeah. Like yeah. Uh, everything that's in that first book in Honey and Go the Cookbook still comes still back to comes the menu back. all yeah. the time. And, and that was all based on it. that first year of us because we wrote it as a diary of the first year of Honey yeah. and Co. But we would have, like, in September, we would have people come saying, where's my fig salad? <laughs> yeah, We'd we're waiting like, for it. I think you know. they're still in Turkey, the figs, but... It's yeah. still on the No, tree. but it's like that. still on the trees <laughs> in yeah. Turkey. We have, like, people saying, where's my... Yeah. yeah. Like, it's definitely like yeah. that. It still is like that. People come So we now, actually, in Haninko, we don't have a lot of room for maneuver. Like, we can't... No, dishes People do come, come for their things in yeah. season and... Like every Christmas, it's mansaf. Yeah. Like this is like every Christmas, it goes on the menu. Explain and like what that is. So it's like a... It's a Jordanian dish. Jordanian it's like dish is ju- like slow cooked lamb Jordan. with the rice that's cooked in the juices from the oh lamb. And then a yogurt, like a thickened with the yogurt sauce. It's delicious, but it, it's quite a lot of work and we only put it on for is the Christmas the menu. Is this one that you would always find in like a family home because it takes quite a long time yeah. to it's, cook? It's... it's, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really, we we put it on for the like two months of Christmas, and then it comes off, and then <laughs> yeah, so then it's fine. it's a lot of work. Yeah, how do you play with the flavors of your food? Because obviously, you're encompassing so many different countries in the Middle East. Have you traveled extensively around that part of the world to kind of source your ideas? And yeah, I think we've traveled a lot, but also when we started, we had traveled less than we have now. I think at the start it was from all these families, like I was saying to you before. Oh, so you really you, came back to your, from your childhood. You, yeah, you yeah. go to people's houses, friends, and they teach you how to make this, and you yeah. try this, and you cook this, and you go to this restaurant. A lot of like um, workmen's yeah. restaurants, you know, like uh, like what is a greasy calf here. Yeah. In Israel, it can be like an amazing Persian restaurant, or it can be an amazing Moroccan place and stuff. So you, a I lot of it. When I go on holiday, so I like good. research for weeks, finding yeah. all those little workers' camps. Yeah. Because they, that, that sometimes they are the, the real food. best food. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, so a lot was from that when we started. And then in time, we started traveling quite a bit. But like we tried to be everywhere that we can legally go. Yeah. Is there anywhere that you haven't been? Yeah, yet? we haven't sadly been to Lebanon or Syria yet. But or, uh, or to Iran, which I'd love to yeah. go. So one I day. haven't been to Iran you yet. Haven't I, known, well, um, I mean, I would love to go. My mum was going loads before the revolution yeah. because she was doing a lot of work between here and there because she worked in um, antiques 
and then she went once after the revolution and she hasn't been back since. Yeah. It's really difficult and everybody has their own opinions on it and I've been very adamant that I do want to go because one, I can't go my whole life without not going back yeah. to the country that I really feel quite connected to. I've got family that I haven't met before but it's just not the right time no, at the moment. No, you have to wait no. until it's yeah. safer. And this is kind of what we feel about Lebanon. Yeah, man, we so, I yeah. so I went to Beirut. My mum took me as a surprise. When I graduated university, she was so happy because I was the only one to get a degree in the family. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to take you away for a girls' weekend. And I thought, oh, we'll go to Paris or Barcelona. And I get to the airport. She's like, we're going to Beirut. And I was like, eh? <laughs> Now, weirdly enough, I grew up more on Lebanese food than I did probably Persian food because yeah. at the time like Marouche had just become really big and my dad was a huge Lebanese food fan and I'd just go and eat shawarmas without the chicken because at the time I didn't like meat very bizarre anyway um, and so we go to Beirut and I was a bit like oh, I'm not sure about this weekend it's, but it's Paris of the it's Levant. the Paris it's of the Middle East yeah, I mean, this is what it is it's phenomenal yeah. Really, some of the best food I've ever had. Yeah. The people, the, the we culture, would the love to go. I it's think, really you know, fabulous. Yeah. I couldn't recommend it anymore. Like it's amazing. I would love to go to Yemen as well. There's so many places I want. I want yeah. to go to Amman. I want to go to Jordan. I want to. Oh. Jordan, Jordan is amazing. I'm going to start the fact that I haven't been to Israel, but we won't talk Jordan, about that either. Jordan is absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've heard very good things. Yeah, we had so much fun. Yeah, it's amazing. Honey and Spice Deli is, for me, a bit like a snippet of all of your great little dishes and salads, your condiments, your spices. For you guys, what are the most important ingredients for your cooking? Tahini. Tahini. That's a big one, yeah. Spice uh, mixes. Our so spice like, mixes, yeah. Not the tahini that you get in my Sainsbury's, though. No. This is proper tahini. Yeah. This is proper tahini, <laughs> and it's smooth and creamy, yeah. and it, it does everything you want yeah. for a dish. Um, spice mixes because that's a big part of the basis of all our food we make our own spice mixes and we have four different base spices that we use for everything that we cook um, we sell Which them as well but like the sweet spice sarit spice they call it sarit spice but it's it's kind of combinations that work for you you know and for us this is like the essence of our food I could speak for ages about all of my favorite dishes that I've tried here over the years, but one thing that you guys are quite infamous for is actually something that's sitting in front of me, <laughs> which is the, um, the feta and honey cheesecake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why do you think it's so popular? Because you're talking to someone, by the way, who actually doesn't like cheesecake. Loads because of people I don't, that don't like cream cheese. cheese. Yeah, but, but loads of people is, that don't like cheesecake eat that this quite is regularly. For me, not. I couldn't. I couldn't even compare it. Do you know it's the weirdest recipe <laughs> I've ever, ever created in my life? Because I just. Do you remember when we were talking about it? Like, I don't. I had this like in a trip to Israel. I ate a creme brulee that had like some thyme and honey on it. That's it. It was very nice. The thyme worked well with the honey and the creme brulee. Everything worked nicely, and when we came back. One of our chef friends came to lunch, and he, they only had we only had the cakes at the time on the display. And he said to me, "What are you doing? Like you're a pastry chef. There's no desserts on the menu." I said to him, "There's loads of cakes." And he was like, "No, but there's no like dessert menu. I want to eat dessert." And I was like, "Ah." Oh, it's know. from a guy who has coffee with his lunch. Oh, stop it! Oh, no. we, just, we just had lunch with him, <laughs> and he has <laughs> coffee. For just that. He always and he drinks that. it anyway. as he's eating his food. Yeah, isn't he's that unforgivable? Anyway. Oh, yeah. That's not the point. I the know. point is, <laughs> it is bizarre. The point is, he said to me, like, what are you doing? Like, you should be making desserts. And I was like, oh, don't annoy me. I have so much to do. I don't have time. And then, of course, it annoyed me. So I went into the <laughs> kitchen 
and I was like, time, honey. And then, I don't know. I just like literally threw everything into a bowl, mixed it, so and it that's it. it came out a bit of frustration. It, it came out of said- him annoying me yeah. in saying, I don't have desserts on the menu. Okay. But I needed something that I could do in this kind of kitchen that we were working in, which was small and tight and... I couldn't bake like millions of cheesecakes and like let them set and fridge and do it. I couldn't do that. It's not the kitchen we had. And that's it. But people like it because it's got the saltiness. It's got the feta. I mean, I have to say that my personal favorite, which is literally like crack cocaine for me, um, is your vodka. Yeah. yeah. Which on it, I, I can't explain it. I have like these weird sensations when I, when I eat it. It's <laughs> yeah, like yeah. quite incredible. It's quite perfect. But that's very much actually Ashkenazi Jew. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So very for us, so. it's very yes. much in that world, actually. So I end my interviews with a few quick fire questions. Mm-hmm. My absolute favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Mm-hmm. I'm a crisp connoisseur. I used mm-hmm. to be part of the Kettle Chip fan club. I'm telling everybody this. What's your favorite flavor of crisps? Mmm, salt and vinegar, hands down. Or I quite like cheese and onion. I'm going to say something you're not going to like, but I don't like crisps. Oh my God. I've, I mean, I've I been waiting for this answer. No, I, you like, <laughs> I can eat you them. You like Doritos. Yeah, I like Doritos. Okay, so like a, like a corn chip. A or? corn chip. Okay. The potato thing, I... No, it's not my... I don't even... I'm not a huge fan of chips chips like that. Okay. It's just not my thing. Salt and vinegar, but what brand? Because... But, you know, I can be very judgmental on... Um, <laughs> hmm. Like, do you like a good Walkers? Which, for some reason, my dad likes. I don't understand that one. I mean, I will say, like, guilty, 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 guiltiest. <laughs> <laughs> Pringles, sour cream, and chives. Really? Yeah. Which yeah. is horrible. Which no, is I horrible. Like See, I, I don't, that's not even, like, a chip. No, I don't understand that's what that's processed. Not, that's... <laughs> So processed, and I, I'm not. I'm not going near well, that with a barge. I mean, Doritos is processed as well, but like Doritos, you eat it because it's like absolute garbage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I really I mean, eat it like maybe once in a blue moon. But I'm like, not telling you at mine now because you'll judge me. So we don't fine. judge. What is it? The worst, even worse than a Pringle, pickled onion monster munch. Oh, you know what? I've I never had Monster Munch. Rachel is so angry at me that I've never eaten a Monster Munch, okay, but I've never I'm had gonna, because I'm it's bringing a packet over. Honestly, I, I am coming next week and I'm bringing it's the funniest a thing, large but, packet for but like, you. I don't eat these things. And then Rachel's like, you've never had a Monster Munch? No. Oh no, I, I love a good Monster Munch. This is the puffy one. They're kind of like shaped it's like, like hands. Oh, and they're yeah. really... They're not. They're not even potato. I think it's corn. But they just they get all over your hands. They they come out of your skin. I mean, it's just they're intense. But you know what? Actually, the best thing in my kind of thing is bamba. Do you know what bamba is? Oh, because these are the Israeli. Yeah, my friends used to bring them back when they used to go to Israel. This I can like. Yeah. This is my like kryptonite. Yeah. Is that the one? Yes. Who are your three most desired dinner party guests? Dead or alive? Very good question. I now think we should get um, very good question Jane Austen. Now Ooh. that you've read her as well, I know it was never there on the list before. Wow. So I think it would be interesting. She's really? Quite, yeah, she's quite like feisty. I oh think. yeah. Was she isn't now? Okay. But she's coming th- anyway, so she yeah. will be. It hasn't come before, but like now that you've read quite a lot of the books, I think. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I would. I would love to have Jane Austen over. <laughs> no, I would. I would actually. 
Um, Bruce, Bruce Chatwin, I'd like to have the writer. Yeah, I, I haven't read anything, so I don't know that we... Did well, we I would be very you horrible. You song lines, no? I haven't read anything. I haven't read uh, anything. Yeah. I'm sadly, I would be like sitting there being like, I yeah, don't I know, know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> that awful question, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I usually do those kind of things to like people that I really should know yeah, what they are. Know, and I'm like, same. oh, I'm so exactly bad. the same. No, but yeah. I actually, I don't want like dead writers at all. But I want like our friends. Yeah, I want Patsy there for sure. Yeah. I'd love Rachel and Julia and Louisa and Imbaz is all the and people Kuskusun. we work with and Shachar, our friend. Like all of these people. Like these are the dream. Perfect. Because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want like okay, I'll be interested in sitting down with some interesting people, but if you're talking about like fun, then, then that's our friends. Yeah. yeah. What would be your last meal? Falafel. But like a proper one with the pita and the salads and like loads of tahini. It's my favorite thing. I've been eating it for years and I still want to eat it. That's like... Do you know what, actually, sorry, back, you're talking about falafel. That was something really interesting that I loved reading about in your book about you guys have different versions of falafel. Yeah. And you both yeah. obviously think that you're... Because where you came from... You know what, we've now both kind of come around to another flavor together. Yeah. In Egypt, we had amazing. Oh, uh, really? So delicious. Yeah. So it's an ever evolving kind of Fine. thing. Fine, okay. But it is a, it's, you know. What's going to be your last meal? Probably burgers from Five Guys <laughs> with chocolate milkshake. No. Um, what? Yeah. You're joking. No, I love that shit. Oh my god. I love that shit. But from Five, you're going to go for a burger from Five Guys? Yeah, I love Five Guys. <laughs> I would have like 13 as well and chocolate milkshake. Look, do you not find their bur the burgers and chips really heavy because they cook it all in peanut oil? It's and very, I yeah. And I'm always a bit nauseous. You know what? I, I, like maybe once a year. No, I don't eat that. To eating a burger. Yeah. Also, you don't really eat it more than maybe no, once a year. I don't. Once a year, we'll have like burger chips, blah, 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 and then feel sick afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. then never do it again. And then not do it year. for another year yeah. until the craving is like so big that we do it again. Yeah. It's very strange. But I would have that with onion rings from Burger King. Oh, I love onion rings. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm so shocked by this answer. I mac know what and to cheese, say. the fried mac and cheese from TGI Friday. <laughs> That I had once in my life. And then he's going to die of heartburn. No, but I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> I mean, my cholesterol's gone up even thinking about it. But this is what it. I'm saying. Like, this is the, the kind of food that you know, like, even as yeah. you're eating it, you're just like, that's a year of my life gone, of gone, course, gone, gone. Completely. And, and I then mean, for I, dessert, I'll oh, have a Oh, okay, we're still going. Look, you're yeah! Still going. It's my last meal. I no, want to get the most out of it. No way. What are you finishing with? Babka. Sorry, it's babka. Okay, good. All right. Okay, you redeemed yourself. Live to eat or eat to live? Mm. We're trying to change the ratio slightly. Okay. Yeah. It was very much many, many years of, uh, you know, eating is the essence of it all. But mm, I think we're trying to flip the balance a, a bit. A little bit more to eat to live. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. Otherwise, you get sick, and yeah. that's not good. So you're better <laughs> off in a good, healthy body. Yeah. Everything in moderation. Good, yeah. I think the kind of eating to excess years are maybe slightly behind us. Thank you so much. You. This was so Thank so you. It was so much fun. So much fun. just so interesting hearing your stories and how you've got to where you've got to. You can follow these two wonderful people and their culinary delights on social media at Honey and Co, at Honey and Spice Deli, and at Honey and Smoke Restaurant. Thank you for listening and joining us this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend and another and maybe another.
Don't forget you can follow all the crazy sexy antics on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube, at Crazy Sexy Food. Until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.